Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt Moderno. I'm joined as always today by my co-host, Larry Hughes. Larry, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, Excited to be joined by a special guest here today, Mr. Steve Buckhance, the voice of the Washington Wizards for over 20 years, which, uh, you know, is kind of amazing to say when you think about it. Uh, Just, you know, that's that's the the majority of my lifetime. I remember Steve uh, calling those games for me. So this is very cool for me. Uh, Steve, I have a broadcast journalism degree from Maryland, and I wanted to be a play-by-play announcer because of you, uh, particularly. Oh, wow. Um, so this is a big deal for me. So so thanks for coming on and uh, joining us today. Well, that thank you, Matt. That is uh, a real compliment. I I, um, I hate to think of myself as being that old, but I guess I am at this point. Um, but, you know, being a local guy growing up here, obviously I'm very familiar with all the schools and all the broadcasting programs know a lot of guys that came out of the different ones, obviously, you know, uh, Scott Van Pelt and Chick Hernandez came out of Maryland, Tim Brandt. Um, and then you go over to AU and uh, you got uh, Andy Poland and uh, David Aldridge and just so many different people out of the local schools. And then I went to JMU and got, you know, what I think was a pretty good uh, shot at broadcasting down there. So that's a compliment for you to say that. I appreciate that. But it's great to be on here with you. And just, just to talk with and see my friend Larry Hughes, who, uh, man, we had some good times back then. Those were great t- great teams, good people, and just a lot of fun broadcasting those those Wizards games. Yeah, I think that second part uh, is the most important part is good people. I think it was all about the people and, and the environment. And I think it was just understanding what, you know, what our local guys, what they went through, uh, and making sure that we took care of of our local guys and had conversations and had interactions and, you know, to have good people, you know, picking and pulling at you for, you know, questions and things of that nature. Uh, it was, it was really, um, you know, really a good time in my career for sure. Yeah. Well, we, I know Phil and I, uh, we really enjoyed the, those times and you guys, because as I've, I've talked to many people about this before, and this is not a knock on any of the current guys because we, you know, we were friendly with the young guys that are playing now and have played in the last couple of years. But uh, we, we enjoyed um, interacting with, with you, guys like you, obviously Gilbert, the big three. You even played one year with Jordan. Um, it was just – it seemed like a different time in the sense that um, I don't want to say guys seemed more interested, but there was just, as you said, more interaction. Like we always sat in the back of the plane. And obviously you guys sat in the front with the more roomier seats and um, maybe even the better food. I'm, I can't remember, you know, at this point, I don't remember, but, uh, but, but there would be times when you guys would come to the back of the plane and interact with us. Uh, 
And it just, it was a real comfortable feeling. I mean, even Gilbert, people ask me about him and listen, you know him as well as anybody. And we had him on our podcast. Um, you know, he's just, he's a real interesting dude, man. He's just, he's a real outgoing guy. He admitted he didn't always do the right thing, but his heart was in the right place. And I used to watch him, Larry, after games, uh, we'd be on the road and we'd be, and we'd lose and we'd be getting on the bus and I would watch him go over to people and sign autographs even after a loss, which I'm sure guys weren't in that kind of frame of mind at the time, but he did that kind of thing. Part of it was because, you know, he was a little bit of a ham, but part of it too was because he liked reaching out to people and he enjoyed that kind of interaction. Steve, I think you hit on a really interesting thing there for fans is just kind of how much interaction, you know, do you and Phil have with the with the players during the season? Is it, I mean, you're obviously traveling with the team, but but how close a connection is that? And does that make it hard to be kind of objective sometimes? I mean, obviously the local broadcast, you guys have a little bit more local flair to it than a national yeah. broadcast, but is it still hard to be critical if you have a personal relationship and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, Matt. Uh, it it is a little more difficult. There's a there's a line there that you try not to cross. You know, you you can be. I don't even use like to use the word critical. I would rather use the word objective. Yeah, you can be objective, and if a guy's not playing well, or you know, maybe he made a bad pass or whatever, what you try not to do is be demeaning. You don't want to offend and or be demeaning to a guy because he's out there trying as hard as he can, just like the referees are, and they're going to make mistakes too. So we, we try not to be critical in that sense, and I've always tried to be more objective about our calls and watching guys play and whatever. Uh, but back to the beginning of your question, um, you know, there are, there are certain guys that you gravitate to more than others maybe because they're more outgoing and they're not afraid to come up to somebody that's you know, three times their age. Um, and, and for that reason, you get to, you know, you get to, uh, enjoy guys a little bit more. Um, I, I always thought that Larry and Gilbert and, uh, Antoine and Karan and even Brendan, and of course, Brendan majored in communications in Carolina, uh, they always had some interest in what we did. And, 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 and it was just, you could tell guys that were just genuinely nice guys. And I would always tend to gravitate towards that. Recently, I think, the guy I probably became closest to was Marching Gortat for whatever reason. He took to me, I took to him. He was outspoken, but he would talk to me all the time. And we just developed a friendship. But as Larry said a moment ago, uh, the best part about all of this now, Larry, and tell me if you agree with this, is, um, you know, you, you form these kind of relationships early on. And, 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 and they seem to get closer as you get older and then as you get out of the game. You don't always see guys on a regular basis, but you appreciate what you all went through together. And I always enjoyed the relationships I have with guys long after playing days than maybe I did even when they were playing. It's just something about that connection that I think is special. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that that's definitely true uh, because there is a lot of hard work that goes in on both sides. And to acknowledge, you know, how hard you guys work, you know, from the broadcasting standpoint and then to have that interaction and that acknowledgement that, hey, you missed every damn shot you, you took tonight, but <laughs> I know how hard you work. So it's not a, you know, it's not an indictment on, on, on who you are. It's just understanding what the situation and the scenario is. And for me, you know, being kind of that laid back guy, you know, I'm going to recognize that early on, right? I'm a good, 
my, my people detector is, is, is very high and I pride myself on understanding uh, who people are. And in this situation, it's like, just like you said, man, the, the further you get away from the game, you start to point at people to say, you know what? That was a good dude. Like, you yeah. know what? I enjoy my time around those guys or that group of people. Um, and, it, and it is an experience and it is things that we try to pass down to the younger generation so that they are aware of, you know, how hard everyone works to, to make this thing, you know, make a lot of sense. Yeah, because sometimes you get caught up in the moment, which is the career that you're having. And, you know, and if you're a really, really good player and you become even a superstar status, that can get, you can get caught up in all that stuff too. I'll tell you what, I, one of the things I remember, Matt, um, after Larry went to Cleveland, I went to, we, we were doing the game there and uh, I had a friend of mine who brought a couple of kids to the game. I'd say they were probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 years old, uh, a couple of young guys. And I waited, and, and it was Larry Hughes bobblehead night at the arena. And so I waited after the game because I wanted to, to see who was going to come out of the locker room. And Larry, and this was way after the game, people weren't in the arena. The only people that were in there were the press that were still working. LeBron was on the floor with a bunch of his family. And then Larry had come out of the it was walking out and I saw him and I said, Hey, Larry, how you doing? Would you mind signing it? You know, your bobblehead for these kids. And he was absolutely gracious and did. And we talked a little bit and it was great. I happened to go over to LeBron to take these kids over there. And he, he wasn't as gracious. He didn't, he wouldn't sign anything for the kids, but, and that made an impression on them. But the point is Larry was, you know, just like, Hey, I'm excited to see you. I'm excited to sign this for the kids. And those kids remember that. I mean, this makes what you guys do, man, makes an impression on young people that maybe even their parents don't make. Uh, and I think a lot of folks need to understand that. Uh, yeah, I think that that's a really good segue, too, because, you know, Larry was a, uh, a player that I had a ton of respect for the way he, he did things on the court. But off the court, you heard just those kinds of stories. And then that, like you said, resonates with fans. But mm -hmm. I can relate to what what I'm about to ask you more than most people. But what was it like for you being able to to get to talk basketball all the time with someone that you had a lot of respect for as a player and a person prior to working with them in, in Phil Chenier? Well, you know, Phil is a great guy. I, I've known him for a really long time. I, I got to know him, or let me put it this way. I met him for the first time when I used to referee basketball here in the Urban Coalition League, which was a great summer league here, kind of like the Baker League was in Philadelphia or the Rucker League. It was big time, man. I mean, great players. Summer was hot in these gymnasiums. We used to work our, – our first games were Roosevelt High School, which ironically enough is where my father went to high school, and his gym teacher was Red Auerbach. Wow. But um, that's, where, that's where we had our games. And some awesome players would come in, and the Bullets had a team in that league, in the Urban Coalition League, that they, that they brought in after a few weeks. And Phil was on that team, and Kevin Greevy, and Joe Pace, and um, – um, I'm thinking of some of the other guys, oh, uh, Truck Robinson, a bunch of these guys played in that, in that league. And I used to referee with some other guys, Glenn Harris, local guy, and his brother Ronnie, and Joe Forte, NBA referees. I mean, Joe Forte refereed in that league. Louis Grillo refereed in that league. It was really something. That's the first time I ever saw Phil, and it's the first time I ever met him. And the story is, is, is fairly it's, – it's well documented. Um, I didn't know him, but I'm refereeing. and. Um, and I called a foul on him and he was not happy with the call. And he turned around and he called me a stupid MF. 
And now look, you know, I was, when I was, Phil's five years older than me. So when I was in college at JMU, we used to watch him playing with the Bullets. And I mean, he, after Earl Monroe, he became my second favorite player ever. And so here I am uh, calling a foul on, uh, you know, guy that I really liked and he's calling me a stupid MF. And I'm thinking, all right, under normal circumstances, I probably have to hit him with a T, but I, it's Phil, man, I can't do that. And then he turned around, he looked at me and he called me the same thing again. And now I had to whack him and I hit him with a technical and it killed me. It was like, you know, here's one of my idols and I got to hit him with this technical. So that was the first time I ever encountered a meeting with Phil and who would have known that, hell, what, 25 years later, we'd be partners doing what we did. So he is a great guy. Uh, Larry knows this. I mean, he's a real understated, real low keyed guy, you know, kind of slow moving and um, uh, nothing seems to really bother him too much. Uh, but a real bright guy and uh, and a and a very loyal friend, and we've become, you know, as close as you can get. And when you do this, like Larry will tell you, working with you know all of his teammates, especially with Gilbert, where they got to be so great, you know, uh, stealing. You know, they led the league in steals one year because each guy knew what the other guy was doing before he even did it. It, it was instinctful, you know, just like that with Phil we could finish each other's sentences. I mean, you knew what a guy was thinking. And so I think hopefully that resonated with fans because we hear people say you had great chemistry and uh, I hope that's what it was. When you live with somebody for six months and Larry would echo this as well uh, as, as ball players, man, you better get along with them to some extent because if not, you, it's not going to work. And, uh, and Phil and I got along great. I mean, we were, I spent more time with him than I did with my wife for, you know, 20 years. And I was only married for nine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you guys, I mean, we, we felt that, you know, we felt, I definitely felt that energy, um, you know, prior and, and post. I mean, just understanding, you know, how it is to build that connection. And I've done a few sit-ins, you know, kind of talking about some games uh, at a few of the college games, St. Louis University games. And it's a rhythm and a cadence that you have to have, you know, when you're, in a high intensity, you know, environment, and you're talking about specific information uh, that you may have a, you know, you may have an input on, and your partner may have a different sort of view. But it's a, it's an understanding how to how to mesh those two things together. Uh, mm-hmm. And on the outside looking in, man, you guys uh, definitely a great, you know, a, a great tandem. And bring back Steve. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. <laughs> it means a lot coming from you. Trust me. Yes, sir. I think the entire fan base would would echo, uh, you know, that sentiment. It, it just I, I can't think of a, another comparable example where oh, just such a well liked broadcast team was eventually sort of uh, moved out, and 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 the way it took place, I think, is sort of what people had the hardest time with. It, it, you know, you didn't get the chance, you know, the chance to do like a proper send off, and and that's obviously probably something that made it even worse for you. But but for fans, it was oh well, they'll figure it out, and and we'll have you know we'll have Steve back next year. Was yeah. there any was there any communication with you at all? I mean, this is something I think people probably have less insight into. But was it just, yeah, we're not renewing the contract, or was it, hey, Steve, we just we want to go a fresh route? Uh, any any exchange at all on that? Well, you know, there's there were two different factions, obviously, that I think were involved in the in the decision. One would be the owners, which would be Ted and and his son. The other would be um, my boss at NBC Sports Washington. I, I've said this, it's, it's well-documented. Um, whoever made the decision made the decision, but with regard to guys who do broadcasts or gals or whoever it is, 
you know, the uh, make no mistake that the owners always have the final say in this. I mean, we saw this happen in Baltimore with John Miller, who probably the best baseball broadcaster there was for whatever reason, Peter Angelos didn't like him and John Miller was gone. Well, you know, I mean, how do you let go of the best broadcaster in the league? He goes out to San Francisco and he now do, does games for the Giants. Same thing happened with Mel Proctor, great broadcaster. And he was doing Orioles games and he was gone too. Um, so the, the owner, you know, if the owner wants you to be there, you'll be there. It doesn't really matter, you know, what your, your boss, whoever you work for. Phil and I did not work for the Wizards. We worked for NBC Sports Washington, whereas Dave Johnson and Glenn Consor, who do radio, work for Monumental Sports. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that was, that was uh, an unfortunate situation. Um, they, they did say to me, uh, NBC Sports Washington, not going to renew the, your final year, which was disappointing. I would have liked to at least – I thought I earned the right to at least have my final year of, a th- of that three-year contract. And then if you wanted to talk about something after that, that would be fine. But that didn't happen. So I didn't get the chance to do that final year. And then, but I think what was, what was the most disheartening thing was, you know, you pour your heart and soul into something for, I did for 22 years, 20 with Phil, two with Carol Lawson. And, um, and plus 14 years at Channel 5 before that. So, I, you know, I'm in this market for 35, 36 years and developed, you know, I think some recognition and a following. And really worked hard. And, and, and look, I grew up a Bullets fan. I mean, I'm born and raised here. I used to go to the Civic Center. My parents would take me there to see Earl Monroe and Wes Unseld and Gus Johnson and Jack Marin and Kevin Lockery and all those guys. So, I mean, th- that's in my blood. So, to be able to do that job for me was a dream job. Make no mistake about it. But to go out without being able to say goodbye or have any recognition or even somebody say thank you, man, that, that, that kind of hurt me. So um, that's too bad that that, uh, that happened that way. I had 22 great years. I would love to still be doing the games, uh, but uh, n- nothing lasts forever. And so that was how that ended. It didn't end well, but, uh, you know, I still love the team. I always will. It's in my blood. If somebody from the organization came to you in a couple of years when the wound's still a little less fresh and – hey, we wanted you to do some studio work or, or things like that. Is that something you'd be open to? Because I think people would love to hear you guys, you and Phil together again. And I know he still does some work for the team too. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, yeah, I would absolutely consider it. I mean, you know, time has a way of healing all wounds, right? Isn't that what they say? And uh, uh, I don't hold any real animosity. I, again, I was hurt the way it happened, but uh, I still love the team. I, look, I still I still like Ted and I like Zach. I mean, they they, they were... I really love these guys, uh, you know, before all this happened. It's just unfortunate that I haven't had any communication with them since. But, um, yeah, I would, I would, defi- I would definitely uh, entertain those thoughts. I mean, I, you know, that, that's, this is my home. That's my team. And um, that's what I love doing. Yeah, I, I just think it's interesting that, you know, from a broadcasting standpoint, that that's the scenario that happens um, because I can relate to it from a, from a playing standpoint. And, and as basketball players – um, not many of us get a chance to leave out on our own accord. Uh, and when, mm-hmm. we, when we feel like, you know, it's the right time or even with communication. So right. I can feel your pain, you know, in, in that area. Um, and also agree with you that, that time heals, um, you know, those open wounds because it is, a, it is a situation where you pour everything into a sport or a profession. And the only real thing you want is that pat on the back and say, hey, you know, you did a good job. And yeah. there's many cases in, in, in the basketball space and in that competitive space where uh, we don't get that 
that, you know, that pat on the back and say, hey, man, you did a good job. Now we're going to move on. So I feel your, you know, I feel your pain, you know, in, in that regard, because um, speaking for a lot of my brothers, we've, we've suffered in that way. Now we've moved on, obviously, but we understand uh, that process as well. Yeah, no, there's absolutely, Larry. I mean, it's a, you can relate to it and, and not just what we do, you know, any, any other job. I mean, um, you know, you like to think that if you worked hard at what you did, which you did, and you were successful at it, which you were, and you were productive, that you would be rewarded in some fashion. Um, uh, now, like you said, you, you don't always go out the way you'd like to. Maybe you think you got another year, a couple more years. Uh, hopefully, you're rewarded in some fashion, you know, whether it's obviously monetarily, uh, security, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but, but in our business, it's, our business is a little bit more subjective in the sense that, you know, if some, and I'm not just speaking as a play by play guy, but even as a sports anchor before that, I worked at five different TV stations around the country. Uh, it's very subjective in the sense that if somebody, some person, your boss comes in and decides they don't like you for whatever reason, you know, it could be, you know, what you look like. It could be, you know, the, you know, you're too heavy. You don't look good on the air. I don't like your style. I don't like your color, whatever the hell it is. Uh, then you can be removed from a job, which is unfortunate because my business is a little bit different in that sense. Hopefully, hopefully with your job, uh, if you're good at what you do and you play, you're going to play, you know, I mean, the, the only guy that I can think of that that hadn't happened to recently is probably Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, because he can play, but then nobody wanted him to play. So um, uh, that's my business is it's a little unforgiving that way in the sense that you have people that can come in and if they don't like the way you look, you can be gone. And, and that's a tough thing. It's, it, it's tough, but uh, it's still a great, it's a great field. And, uh, you know, you get, you get a lot of satisfaction out of it. Sure. And, and, and on the other side of that, obviously, the, the lighter side of the memories uh, that you're able to uh, have, the memories you're able to make. So, you know, just talk a little bit about some of those favorite memories. And I definitely like to talk about some of those favorite memories during the time that I was there, you know, of yeah. course. But, you know, just doing your time of broadcasting and, and, and speaking, you know, just give me like two or three, you know, scenarios that were probably your favorite moments. Well, I think, you know, people ask me, what was your favorite call? What was your favorite moment? And again, we had so many of them, especially in your era. Uh, I always say that my favorite moment and my favorite call was when, when Gilbert hit the game-winning shot in Chicago over Kirk Heinrich uh, to win that game because uh, there was so much emotion involved. You were in – it's hard to describe this to people, but you're in a building that's so – Hostile. I mean, you know, that that United Center with those fans who know basketball clearly. Uh, and anytime you win on the road, I used to say, uh, anytime you you win like in New York, it's so gratifying because, you know, those fans are just so, you know, they're so for the Knicks. It doesn't matter whether they suck or not. Uh, they still come out and support them. Anytime you win in New York or Philadelphia or even L.A., I used to say was a really gratifying feeling. But that game winner that Gilbert hit, and I screamed dagger, and Phil and I both yelled. Uh, and, 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 I, and I said on the call, I said, Gilbert Arenas has sucked the life out of this building, which is exactly what he did, you know. And it just came to me at that time because those people were stunned, man. I mean, 
you know, here's this team and maybe they're not supposed to beat them. And they did. It was just a great shot and a really memorable moment for me. Uh, there were other ones, obviously, you know, when Michael Jordan played, I mean, we only won 37 games the two years, you know, total, not total, but each season that he played. So we didn't get to the playoffs. But, you know, traveling around with that guy was just unbelievable. It was like traveling with the Beatles, you know. I mean, you just – people flipped out when they saw him. You know, they just freaked out. And we would come out of hotels and there'd be lines down the street just to get a glimpse of him. Everywhere we went, the arena was sold out. Uh, David Falk told us that, uh, that Abe Poland ended up making maybe 80 or $90 million off of having Michael Jordan on the team. So that was a real eye-opening experience. And, uh, and I think really um, uh, just, you know, you and Gilbert uh, in the backcourt that one year was just so exciting for us because you knew things were going to happen, man. You, you just knew that uh, you guys were going to sneak up on somebody and steal the ball from them. And uh, that, that just got me excited. So those kind of moments uh, were memorable for me. And just, just being able to stand on the floor, Larry, and uh, you know, sometimes I'd have to pinch myself because I'd be standing on the floor and Kobe Bryant would be standing there or Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Gilbert Arenas or Larry Hughes or whoever it was. And I'd be like, man, this is what I'm doing for a living. And it just doesn't get any better than this. And I was blessed. I worked hard to get there, but I was blessed. And uh, those are the memories I take from, from what I did. Yeah, you mentioned that, that bowl series. And set in the, the context for anybody that doesn't remember that one specifically, uh, Gilbert had struggled a good amount of that game. And I think he was like, you know, four for 12 or something yeah. early. And yep. uh, my, my partner here had an especially good game. I think you were like 30 points and eight rebounds or something, Larry. But you probably remember the you know the line better than I do, but uh, I I didn't know until we did this podcast that 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 last play was originally drawn up for Larry. That that was the deal, right, Larry? They were supposed to go to you, and, and Gilbert took that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it was it was my play. Uh, it was my play. You know, from the huddle, it was my play. And if you know GA, then you know what his mindset was. That <laughs> right. even even whatever that call was, you know he you know he wanted that shot as well as well as I did. So we were just really looking for best best case you know opportunity uh but we we, we laugh over it uh, definitely the you know our old teammates we laugh about you know that was really supposed to be my shot and my shine but things happen yeah and i and i tell you what uh and who who else who was the other guy that was there to block the shot was it tyson Chandler? tyson yeah tyson yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean if you look at that picture that ball did not clear them by very much you got Heinrich outstretched and Chandler, and man, Gilbert's shot, I mean, he measured it. He knew exactly what he needed to do to get that ball over those guys. The picture is brilliant. And um, yeah, and, I'm, and, I, and he talked about that when we had him on our podcast. He said, you know, yeah, Larry had the, they drew up the play for Larry, but I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I, I'm taking this shot. And he did, and he hit it. So, you know, that's the way it worked out. God love him. Oh, and we, we, I knew it was good. I mean, if you watch the video, you know, not just to steal. I mean, you'll see once that shot goes up, I'm starting to turn around and walk towards the locker room. Mm. Uh, the shot that I've seen him, you know, shoot, uh, ultimate confidence. Uh, so if you watch the video of that play, that shot goes up, I'm turning around walking off uh, like a walk-off home run. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cue it up so I can see that now. I want to watch that. That's great. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A security system that's so complicated you never use it. That's the exact type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. 
Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24-7. You can order it online, you open the box, you place the sensors, you plug it in. It's really just that simple. Your home is protected around the clock. Head to simplysafe.com backslash team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash team. It feels good to fear less. Uh, any less heralded guys from from your tenure with the Wizards, uh, Steve? That 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 really you know made a mark on you, whether it was just the way they carried themselves, or just you know the way they were with with fans or people. Just anybody that nobody might think off right off the bat. Yeah, uh, there were some guys. Uh, I, like I said, you you gravitate towards certain people, and they gravitate toward you. For whatever reason, I had Phil and I both had a really good relationship with Tracy Murray, who. Um, you know, uh, some fans were down on him. Sometimes it wasn't a great situation. The guy was a hell of a shooter. And, um, and, but for some reason, he, he got close to us. He confided in us. I remember once we were in Sa- uh, San Antonio, we we're staying at this Marriott, Phil and I, and we had this big room. And then uh, Tracy came to the, um, it might have been at the time when he was involved with stuff with Rod Strickland. I can't remember, but he came to the room and just kind of poured his heart out to us, opened himself up. And I always just thought a lot of him for that and respected him for that. And years later, uh, and I, we've had a golf tournament here every year for St. Jude that we've had for 25 years. And, um, and not a lot of the guys played because not a lot of the guys played golf. I remember a few of them did. Popeye Jones played golf. He enjoyed that. Tracy didn't play golf, but he would come out to the tournament. One year he brought his mother, and they would ride around in the golf cart just to be there for support. And then when the day was over, he wrote me a check for $1,000 for St. Jude. And, and I was like, you know, man, that's, that's awesome, man. That's the way to do things. And uh, I always admired him for that. So, um, you know, yeah, I, th- I would say he was less heralded, but, was, but I always enjoyed him. And just, uh, you know, all, all the guys I mentioned, and there are many, many more. Like I used to love Rod Strickland because, man, he just danced to a beat of his own drummer. That guy was just – he was a piece of work, and I love him to the, to this day. We would see him uh, in Memphis. We'd see him around the league sometimes, and uh, just certain guys like that, Larry, kind of like what you said, you know, the, the, when you get out of the game and then you start to see guys again, you just really appreciate friendship, you know. That's just really what it is. Yeah, and I, I think we, 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 you know, you look to that, you know, your local market to really tell your story, right, if they're, they're broadcasting. So just giving those guys as much information as, as you can so they can tell – you know, the entire story, you know, whether it be family member not doing well or, you know, situation that's going on at home uh, without disclosing all the information. Uh, it's good to rely on your hometown guys to to really disseminate that information. So it's not, um, you know, you, everyone wants to look good, but you just give those guys an opportunity to make sure that the entire story is told, um, you know, to, to our, all of our fans. Yeah, and you know we we had local guy like when Juan Dixon and Steve Blake played on the team, that was special because you know we'd covered them at in college at Maryland and and then they were on the team and that was really cool and and both of them are great guys. So uh, those kinds of things, uh, you know, it was funny back in the day um, before all this social media stuff was happening and before you had phones and social media. It's funny we would we we might say something about a guy on the air. And then we'd get on the team bus. And back then we were all on the same bus. Now they have two buses, but we were all on the same bus together. And the players would all be in the back and we'd sort of be in the middle and the coaches would be up front. And we'd hear 
guys would, would like scream like Jawan Howard and he's another one of my favorite guys. And he'd scream up there. He'd say, you know, what the hell are you talking about? You know, my, my, my big toes, you know, I, I didn't do it. He would be on, you know, he'd be talking to his wife <clears throat> or whomever. And they'd say, Hey, I heard this on the broadcast. And that's how the whole thing would come around. You weren't texting people. There wasn't any Twitter. You, you just, you heard about it through that way, which I thought was kind of funny. So we always cringed a little bit when we get on the bus because it'd be like, oh man, who's going to say what now, you know? But um, uh, luckily we didn't have too many of those, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And I love Juwan, man. He was a great guy. Uh, had a relationship with him long after that, every time we'd see him in Miami for years and years. And, and he's doing great things now. Uh, Steve, just this is, I guess, something I've always wondered for you guys. How how much interaction do you have with players on game days to find out those kind of things? Is is there like a pre-show meeting that you get with the team, or is it just from from being around them? How, how do you kind of pick up those little tidbits of stuff? Uh, there's no there's no a pre-show meeting per se. Um, what you are able to do is to go into the locker room for a certain amount of time before the game, and then they shut that off, like 45 minutes before tip off. Nobody's allowed in there. But before that, you can go in there. But, you know, you understand, too, that guys are trying to be focused and, you know, you're not going to get into a whole big thing with them because they're really trying to do what they do. But, you know what, uh, being privileged to be in the position we were in gave us the opportunity, gave us the luxury to be able to say, like, out on the court, you know, the guys would be in a layup line. And if a guy were, was coming back from an injury – I had no problem, especially if I knew the guy, if he was one of the Wizards guys, I had no problem just saying, hey, man, where are you at? Or how are, you know, and, and, you know, normally they'd say I'm about 80%, you know. So you had that information, and that's good information to have. The other thing I used to do, too, is, and I always get kind of uh, grief for this, I, I was a stickler about pronunciations. And I think you have to be, you know, you want to pronounce a guy's name correctly. And there's so many foreign players in the league that, you know, it's kind of up for grabs. And, and normally what happens is you end up, if you don't talk to the guy specifically, individually, you end up pronouncing his name the way everybody else pronounces his name, whether it's right or wrong. And in a lot of cases, it's not right. So uh, I, everybody, the, the one I point to was Anderson Verizhau for, for Cleveland, Larry knows. So everybody um, would say his name, you know, Verizhau. And I happened to be at the time uh, friendly with a girl who was from Brazil. And she came, said to me, she said, you know, you're not saying his name right. I said, well, what are you talking about? That's how everybody says his name. She says, it's not pronounced Verijão. She said, it's pronounced Varejão, like that, like São Paulo. And uh, so I went up to him in the layup line and I said, hey, man, uh, how do you pronounce your last name? And he said, Varejão. I said, well, how come everybody says Verijão? He says, well, listen, at this point, it's lost in translation. So, you know, and I did the same thing with Nene, and he was playing with Denver at the time. I literally walked up to him at the free throw line when they were shooting around before the game, and I said, hey, man, I just want to get this straight. Tell me how you say your name. And he just said, Nene. And so that's, to me, that's the best way to do things. So that's one way of getting information from guys. But you didn't try to bother them too much before the game. You could get a lot of that information uh, at either shoot around before, you know, the morning of the game or at practice uh, days before. So Steve, if you pronounce that name right, it's guaranteed that they're going to talk to you the next time. <laughs> well, Guar good. Gu gu guaranteed. If, if you go up and you get the correct pronunciation of that name, I guarantee those guys are talking to you the next time around. And that's how well, the relationships start. 
Well, that's good. And that, that's what happened with Marching Gortat. So he comes to the, the Wizards. And we were in Cleveland, by the way. And we, had, and we were staying overnight there. A lot of times we'd fly out that night, but we're staying over. And we stayed at a really nice Rich Carlton there. And we had beaten him that night. And he had just come to the team. So we're all sitting in the lounge. And he's having um, – uh, he was there with – I want to say he was there with um, – it was either Alexei Petrov or Jan Vesely. I can't remember who he was with. And they were drinking, man. They were having some – had a whole bottle of stuff there. And I sat with him and I said, look, I said, uh, tell me how to pronounce your name because everybody says it differently. And he said, he said, Marcin Gortat. And I said, say it again. I made him say it like four times. Uh, and, and, and I said, okay, because I want to get this right. And, of course, you still have people that call him Gortat and Gortat and – and, you know, Marcin and Marcin and all that stuff. So I, w- I always prided myself in knowing that at least, you know, with him, I knew how to say his name. But, yeah, that's how to do it, Larry. I mean, you go up to a guy and you introduce yourself and you say, look, I'm trying to get this right. Can you tell me how to say your name? Thankfully, yours wasn't too difficult to, to say. Yeah, I think, like, to both your points, you know, guys respect professionalism in, in any uh, any arena. So that you guys did your homework, it, it goes a long way, and I think that makes – you know, makes the difference with fans listening to that too. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in college, the only play-by-play I ended up actually doing was for like women's softball, and it was it was hard. And that's a slow sport. So, yeah, that's how, a tough sport. How do you how do you keep up with something as fast-paced as basketball and be able to to keep the conversation flowing with the game flow? You know, uh, it's a good question. It, it it if you've never done it before, then it's very difficult to do. But once you've done it for a long time, uh, it becomes second nature, you know, uh, whether and like I look at hockey and I say, how do those guys do that? You know, it's so fast. The names are outrageous. But then I understand, you know, if you do it over and over and over again, you get into a rhythm, you get into a, a formula of how things go uh, and, and, and it's altered throughout the game and whatever. But you just, man, you get into this groove of, of calling games and, and it really does become second nature. It's like Larry, you know, dribbling a basketball or whatever. That, you don't even think about it. You just do it, you know. And if you're going to go up with a left hand to shoot a layup, you just do it. it. It feels comfortable. So, you know, that's how we were. And then really the difficult part, as Larry alluded to earlier, was being able to mesh with someone who you're doing the game with. And I've done games. Man, I've had color commentators, all kinds. I mean, everybody from Lefty Drizel to Morgan Wooten to – uh, Ronnie Thompson to Merrill Hodge. I did you know NFL football for Fox. Um, a lot of different guys, and if you don't work with them on a regular basis, it can be difficult. You have to kind of understand their cadence and when you can get in and when you can come out, and and all of those things. So working with Phil for twenty years, it became very easy. You know, we knew each other's cadence. We knew, and we tried not to step on each other, and that's really the biggest thing. So calling a game like that, uh, it is fast. There's no doubt. Much faster, obviously, than football or baseball. I mean, baseball, to me, is the toughest sport to call because you, A, really have to know the game. I mean, you got to be smart. you got to know that game. And, B, you have to be a good storyteller because baseball, the announcers are telling a lot of stories, man, especially on TV. So um, – that's a tough sport, I think. But but our sport, basketball, you know, the, the one I did for 22 years, you just get it. It just becomes a formula. You get it in your blood, and it's a rhythm thing. I'd be hammered by our our listener base if I don't ask this one a little bit here. But there's been uh, 
Some recent news with the Washington football organization that Larry Michael is stepping down as, as the play-by-play guy for, for that team. And the instant reaction was, hey, can we get Steve Buckhans in there? So any, any comment on that one or any interest in, in doing something like that? Well, listen, as a, as, a, as a play-by-play guy, but more importantly, as somebody who grew up in this town and, and listened to, obviously, Sonny Sam and Frank my whole youth and then listened to Larry for the last 16 years, uh, I mean, and I've been a, if you can call them the Redskins, I've been, a, I mean, a Redskin fan, I covered them, three Super Bowls, very close with a lot of the former players, and Jeff Bostick and I are close friends, a lot of, a lot of those old guys, all very good friends. Um, that, listen, Matt, that, that's a dream job for, for pretty much anybody, especially if you're born and raised here. Um, and, um, uh, obviously I, I would have interest in it. I'm, I'm, I'm sad that Larry has stepped down because I thought he was great and did a great job and he's a, he's a good friend. And, uh, you know what, we're blessed in this town to have some fantastic, I mean, we are blessed to have great broadcasters. You look at, you know, uh, baseball, Bob Carpenter and FP, and then there are, who are fabulous. And then, um, you know, Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler, I mean, as good as they get on radio, uh, hockey, Joe B and Locker and, and Walton on the radio. I mean, they don't get any better than that. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I like to think Phil and I did a really good job and Dave and Glenn on the radio. And then Larry for 16 years doing the Redskins. We, we've had some tremendous play-by-play and color people in this town. And um, uh, so, yeah, you know, look, that's – and, and I did a lot of football. I did Navy football for seven years. I did NFL on Fox when they started in 94. Uh, so, I mean, and I enjoyed uh, doing football. There was nothing better than doing an Army-Navy game. That was amazing, the emotion that's involved in that game. And uh, I, I, I think actually – Doing radio is almost even more enjoyable for me than TV because you really have to paint a picture and know what you're doing and call it the right way, and you got to do that. And I enjoyed that. So, look, to do that for the, for the Redskins, look, that's, that's the marquee job in this town. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do uh, – you know, I'd be interested for sure. Who wouldn't be? Be crazy not to be, right? For sure. So, Steve, you started the, uh, you know, the, the podcast. And for our listeners that may not be aware, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're doing with the podcast and kind of what's that direction. Well, it's interesting, uh, Larry, because Phil and I kind of, uh, you know, bandied that about for several months. And it was like, uh, you know, because we weren't, neither one of us doing a whole lot. Uh, now, Phil was still doing stuff with NBC Sports Washington and obviously Monumental Sports. He's involved in their alumni program and whatever. But we were like, you know, hey, this would at least give us the opportunity to, to reunite, to voice our opinion, and to just uh, have fun, really, to, to, to enjoy our relationship again. Now, because of the, the virus, we weren't able to get into a studio together, which normally is how you would do this. But uh, doing it the way we're all doing it now seemed to be working out pretty well, too. So that that worked out. But we sort of just, you know, kind of ran it around and suggested it to people and tried to see what kind of reception we got. And we got a really good reception from people that said, yeah, we'd, li- we'd love to listen to you guys. And then also between me and him and the people we know, we knew we could get some really good guests. 
And that was kind of um, uh, very important to me because while the name of our podcast is On the Road with Buck and Phil, and we tell a lot of road stories, which is really fun. That's sort of the main reason we wanted to do this. We also thought that we could, we could get some really uh, timely and impressive guests that people would enjoy listening to. And, you know, I think we've done that in, in the few short weeks we've done this. We, obviously, we had David Falk on when the MJ thing was very timely. Um, we had Earl Monroe on, who was my favorite bullet player. And, you know, we got him and I got to know Earl through Phil. And that was, that's become a big thing for me. We had Scott Van Pelt on, who was my intern at Channel 5 back in the day. And he was fabulous. Uh, we had Bobby Dandridge. We had Gilbert. We had James Brown on, which was unbelievable. Uh, we had um, Sam Jones on, a Celtic legend, you know, and and uh, and then uh, we've just recently interviewed Rex Chapman, who used to play for the Bullets and now does a lot of stuff on Twitter, and his stuff is incredible. And, uh, you know, so we're having fun with these guests, and but we're also, Larry, I enjoy telling stories. I used to, I said when this started, I said, you know, they used to tell us what happens on the plane stays on the plane. Well, those days are over now. I'm not doing that anymore. I can tell some of this stuff. So, you know, I told the story of I was gone up to the cockpit. I used to go up there and sit because I've got my pilot's license and the pilots were nice enough to let me come up there and sit there. And I was walking back. And as I'm walking back, I see Andre Blatch asleep, covered in shaving cream. Okay, He's got a New York Yankees hat on and the guy's got shaving cream on his face, on his chest. And I know Gilbert had done it. And, uh, and I said, this is too good. I got it. So I took a couple of pictures of it, which I've had, and I've yet to put them out on Twitter, but they're going to get out soon enough. At the time, I didn't want to embarrass Andre or his mom. But, and so I've had these pictures for that long and uh, just stuff like that, you know, just different things that we've done on, on the plane in hotels, in locker rooms, you know, I'm not going to hurt anybody or, or put anybody under the bus, but I think some of the stories are lots of fun. And uh, we don't often get a chance to do that, especially when you're working. There are certain things you can't say. But then, there, you know, when you get out of it for a while, it's like, let me share some of these stories. So uh, that's what the podcast does. It's fun, uh, and I enjoy doing it, and I think Phil does as well. Hopefully people are enjoying it. I think one of the, the comments I've heard about it, Steve, and I'm sure you get this kind of feedback already, so it's just more of the same, but – the nice thing is it's been, um, it's like a nice trip down memory lane. You know, things are a little weird right now. So it's, it's good to hear some, some, you know, old stories maybe you didn't know or just retelling of some other ones from, from your guys' perspective. Um, the one that resonated most with me was, was the Sam Jones one just because he's before my time, but he's such a classy guy. And yep. that was somebody I hadn't, you know, heard from or much about. Uh, I mean, I obviously know his legacy and stuff, but but I hadn't heard from him directly. So that was really cool to do, uh, to hear. And I'm, I'm glad you guys are bringing kind of different perspectives. You don't hear Earl Monroe that much publicly anymore. Right. So that's another good one. No, I agree. I, I think that's, that's fun for us. It's fun for, for, uh, for Phil and I to, to bring some of those guys back, to have the current guys, but also, you know, to have guys like Larry and to be able to reminisce a little bit. And I mean, there are a lot of listeners uh, that are too young to remember some of these things. Certainly, if you go as far back as Sam Jones, maybe even as far back as Bobby D. But, you know, without Bobby D, the Bullets don't win the championship. So, uh, you know, you like to get to hear some of these guys. And then and listen, with Google and everything else, some of the younger listeners can go back and see and learn about this history. And they should if they're really students of the game. So um, 
that's that's nice to be able to do that. But listen, I'm an old school guy, man. So when I get a chance to talk to those guys, when I get a chance to, to reminisce with Larry Hughes or Gilbert Arenas, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm stuck in the past, but that's my favorite thing to do. And uh, that's the one thing we got, man. Larry, you got memories that nobody can take away from you, right? That, that, that's exactly right. And we have experiences that are wild experiences because, again, I'm a kid from St. Louis, uh, played 13 years in the NBA, uh, never necessarily thought that that I would play at the highest level. It, it just kind of happened for me. So all the people that I was able to meet, um, I've gained experience from, I've used their experience to shape uh, the things that I'm involved in now. Um, and it's it's just funny how when you start to have these conversations, how many of those memories you know pop up. And then again, there's still some learning that you can do from those memories. So for me, it's um, getting as much of this, this this old new information as I can um, and taking me down memory lane because again, it goes fast and you don't necessarily remember, you know, things that happen until they're brought up in a picture or a video or in a, in a, in a vivid conversation that you could paint that picture. So for me, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing. It is definitely a blessing. It's amazing how fast it goes, isn't it? I mean, you don't think about it when you're in the moment, you, you think it's going to last forever and then you blink and it's, it's over or it's in the past and it just, and I don't know what 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 that is, Matt. About that, you're you're younger, so maybe you can explain it. But you know, people would always say, "Man, the summer goes by so fast." And I'll tell you what: the older you get, the faster it goes by. And I don't know why that is, Larry. Tell me why that is. Do you have any idea? No, I don't. Maybe you're moving faster because you have access to more. But no, I, I couldn't answer that one, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, it's I, I I you know like I said, we've got these great memories and. You know, I'm growing up here, watching the Bullets play and watching the Wizards play and all these guys and, and, and you know, and the Skins and the Caps and the Nats, you know, just it, it's become a really great sports town. I mean, it was always a great football town. We knew that. It was a, back in the day when the Bullets won in 77, 78. I used to tell people, man, the Capitol Center was as crazy and loud as any place that I've seen in the league at that time. And plus there was a layer of haze about 75 feet above the, because people could smoke back then. So it was crazy, but that was a loud place. And I, I, uh, those memories are indelible, man. I'll never forget any of that stuff because I got to cover that team. I was working in Harrisonburg uh, at Madison in TV in 77. So I got to come up and do interviews and cover the team. And that, that's a memory, Larry, that I'll never forget is coming up to be able to stick a mic in front of Wes or Elvin Hayes or, Dick Mata, Bobby D, and man, as a young kid that was just starting in the business, man, I had to pinch myself back in those days. So, um, you know, nothing like having those memories, man. They'll always be there. And sometimes you can go back and Google them and even watch some of them. I can't wait to watch that Gilbert shot so I can see you walking off the court. For sure, for sure. And, 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 and for that matter, I mean, I'm available for you guys' podcast. I am 41. I've almost been retired as long as I've played, so – <laughs> that kind of puts me in the in, in the history category. So love it. Hey, hey, any any time that we can make it work, man, I, I'd be happy to jump on you guys' podcast. Oh, that'd be awesome, too. man. That would be great. I will uh, get with Phil, and we're going to get you on, and that would be tremendous, tremendous. That'll work. That'll work. Uh, Steve, one one final one before we get out of here. If, if you got time for one more quick question, sure. Um, just because of of the timing of things, when you guys started your podcast, you haven't had as 
many episodes with actual current Wizards basketball to talk about, but what do you think of the current iteration of the team and what are you looking to see from them uh, when, when play resumes here in a couple of weeks? Um, man, that's a lot of, a lot of question marks. I mean, obviously, first of all, I think what Tommy Shepard, you know, has done and listen, you, you know, you can't dis- discard Ernie from this either because he and Tommy works side by side for many, many years. Uh, but you know, Tommy's searching for whatever he can do to continue to build around the core of this team. And the core of this team is John Wall and, and Bradley Beal, make no mistake about it. And hopefully they're here and Bradley stays and listen, they got all the money in the world, so they got you know no reason to be unhappy other than the fact that I'm sure they'd love to be playing on a successful team. But having said that, you know, you brought in guys like Davis Bertans, and I don't know if they can re-sign him or not, probably, who knows, but that guy's outrageous shooter. I mean, he's unbelievable. Uh, some of the rookies that they brought in, um, you know, he's tried different things, whether it was Isaiah Thomas or Ish Smith or whatever. I give him credit for trying. He's got to try whatever he can do to, to see what pieces are going to be there for this team that will go along with Wall and Beal. I'm hoping John comes back and he's healthy. I mean, those are some tough injuries, man. That Achilles is a tough thing. Any Achilles or knee, you know, I mean, look at Gil- Gilbert, you know. Larry, he was not the same guy. After he got hurt, I mean, he he was one of the most explosive players I've ever seen. But after that knee injury, clearly wasn't the same dude, right? Yep, yep. So you know, um, yes, I think uh, there. You know, it's going to be interesting to see now this bubble thing that's happening in Orlando. I mean, look, I just hope I hope it works. I give credit to the league for for trying it and doing it, and because we all want to see basketball back, it's going to be unusual with no fans. It's going to be very strange. Uh, the players are in a different routine. They're going to be playing games during the day. They're playing in an empty gym. I mean, it's going to be really weird for them. Um, so we'll see how it all pans out. Uh, there, you know, you may or may not have an asterisk by this season, whoever wins the championship. But with regard to the Wizards, um, well, you know, and it's too bad. They're not going to have Wall or Beal or Bertans down there. Uh, so this is a chance for the younger guys to just play some ball and see what happens. And then, See what happens next year. Um, every year I've had high hopes for our team, Matt. And, um, uh, you know, look, it was just a few years ago they, they almost got to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, they beat Boston in that game, and that was a legitimately good team. I mean, they were a playoff team, man. They were good. And I was a little disappointed the next season that they didn't, they didn't come out like they could have and beat the teams they should have beat. But uh, one day, hopefully, they'll get it together. So this bubble thing is is strange, man. But um, uh, hopefully, nobody gets sick. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if you if you get a marquee player who comes down with something, that could throw you know throw a serious problem into the whole deal. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, that doesn't happen. But it's going to be interesting for sure. There you go, folks. A little deja vu for you, getting to hear Steve Buckhantz talk about the Wizards. Uh, I hope everybody got as much out of this as, as I did. Steve, thanks for joining us so much. Again, for everybody, it's On the Road with Buck and Phil. It's available everywhere. Podcasts are available, so so please check that out. And uh, like I said, it's, it really is just like a nice trip down memory lane. So, so Matt, thanks thank for doing you. that. Thank you and Larry. It's great to, to talk to you guys. I uh, you know, miss those days, Larry, but I think about them all, all the time, and it's just great to talk to you. And uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, I appreciate you joining. And and we use things like this, platforms like this to keep that, you know, keep those memories alive and we can talk about them and discuss them and laugh about them, uh, put them in the right boxes of good or bad. Uh, but they're all good, you know, memories are, are good to have. Absolutely. Thank you.
Thank you. Special thanks again to Steve Buckhans, literally the voice of the Wizards. You'll never be able to convince me otherwise. So uh, really great to hear from him. Glad that you know he and Phil are, are back together again. Please check out their podcast, On the Road with Buck and Phil, available anywhere podcasts are available. Same deal here. Ours is available anywhere. Tell a friend, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.